Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast, uh, episode number 50. We're turning 50. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a milestone. Get this far? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> t- time passes. I figured we'd get there eventually. 50th episode of the Mainland Podcast. Welcome. Uh, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com. We are SB Nation's Orlando City SC uh, website. And uh, joining me... One of our illustrious staff writers, Andrew Harrison, is with us this week. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, looking forward to the weekend to get over, unfortunately, the past endeavors of this club. Yeah, it was a battle of winless streaks on uh, on the weekend on Sunday, and a you know five game winless streak for Orlando City going into seven game winless streak, Sporting Kansas City, and. It looked like only one of the teams was on a winless streak because the other team was dominant, and I don't know that I've seen just that kind of a massacre. Even though the scoreline only ended up 2-1, uh, I don't know that I've seen that big of a massacre you know, in Orlando City's MLS history. I mean, even the games that were like 4-5 nothing didn't seem like it was that heavy of a barrage from the opening whistle to the end of the game. It, it, I, I think you're almost under-describing how much of a, a massacre that game was. It was just, I've never seen such an onslaught from a team against an opposing team that wasn't two men down. We just, <laughs> it was just, I, there was just no offensive movement from us. They had 12 shots on goal. We had zero. That's not great that's and an, an not great is an understatement the fact that this didn't end five six one um or five six nil is impressive because this team just didn't have any offensive spark and you would think sporting kansas city should have been where they were and this this is pretty kind of the performance that they had at the start of the season but mm-hmm. it was just such a it was such a nightmare from i think everybody involved on the orlando city side you would never know, Andrew, that one of those teams played midweek in the altitude of Colorado, and it wasn't the team that lost. Yeah, they they did a double game week, and they still put in what was probably going to be one of their best performances of the season. If they had scored, and I wrote it in my takeaway, my uh, roundtable answers, if they'd scored before halftime, I think we could have easily been buried. Um, but we were able to hold them off, and I really don't think that that was through great team defending or really mm-hmm. great performance by any of the guys on Orlando. It was more just the fact that for whatever reason, all, the entire SKC team had the yips, and eventually they broke it, and it was away they went. Oh, how many how many goals Graham Zusi should have scored in that game, and, and Dom Dwyer? Um, you know, I made a joke, I think, on Twitter that he just doesn't want to score against his whole team because he's had every opportunity to do so. But 34 shots, Sporting Kansas City had 34 attempts at net, and the MLS record is 38. So, you know, I say if you're going to be bad, let's just be historically bad and go ahead and give up 39. Mm-hmm. But uh, Orlando City gives up 34 shots, 12 on goal. And, you know... <laughs> You mentioned the team defense, and it, you hit on that's that exactly hits it because it's not just the back line; it's the defensive midfielders, it's the attacking midfielders, it's everybody. There was no cohesion in the defensive end, and it wasn't just a matter of absorbing pressure because you know there's there are ways to absorb pressure without letting the ball get into dangerous spots. But every time you turned around, either Brad Davis or Benny Failhaber had the ball just above the box with plenty of space to get the ball to a teammate. Yeah, and I think it's becoming a habit of this Orlando City side too, isn't it? Just that we can so we'll just take all the pressure you have to give us and then we'll hoof it forward and hope that Laren gets on the end of it and we'll score. The problem is no that is not a way to play the game in major league soccer or anywhere else in the world. No team can solidly defend for that. And I think we saw it since the Philadelphia game. We've just been happy to let the other team have the ball, come at us at will, and then try to deal with it. And unfortunately, that philosophy and that outlook is failing us badly. And and it's failing us, you know, the defense is taking a lot of stick for those four guys on the backside. But mm-hmm. you really have to look up front. You, the partnership between Saran and Higita, even though Higita wasn't playing today, has crumbled in the last few weeks. 
Um, the no Serino, he should be taking that step back and covering it. But we also have to look towards Kakar and Carrasco. You know, these people were on the field too, and mm-hmm. they didn't put in the effort. When you see your team going down in flames the way we went on Sunday, somebody should have stepped up. And it probably should have been Kakar, but I would have taken anybody from watching this performance. Yeah, it, Kyle Lahren touched the ball 11 times, Andrew, 11. Yeah. It was it was ugly because even when they got on the ball, they gave the ball right back. Yeah. It was like, they here's an outlet pass to you, uh, you know, Roger Espinoza. Mm-hmm. Here, have the ball, you know. And what I wanted to bring up to you, because I, this has been sticking in my craw like all week. Well, I mean, it's only been a couple days, but still, it just feels like it's been months. I've never seen this before. The... The team announced a 4-2-3-1 with no Torino as the left attacking midfielder. Uh-huh. And indeed, they looked like they came out to play that formation. And yet, every time the ball came forward, no Torino was the defender in the corner while Breck Shea was well, well inside the penalty area. Yep. But we didn't see that on the other side with Ramos and Saren. You know, it was typically Ramos out in the corner, you know, defending the, the fullback, as you would normally see. So... Is this some kind of weird scheme that Orlando City is playing? Because it's the second game in a row we've seen it. Or is Nocherino just thinking that uh, Breck needs the help? I need to go do this. I, I think Nocerino is currently playing Mad Libs at defending. <laughs> uh, you know, he's he's thinking that he can do a better job. But the problem is, I think, is as much as we can, you know, I, I don't want to say Shea has been playing terribly, but I think his, his game level has gone down because he's had to deal with no Serino tucking inside so much. And that makes it really hard to play as a wing back because you, you have to know that you need somebody back there to be able to defend you. And Mm -hmm. if it's somebody you don't think can do the job as well as you, you don't go as far forward and you do worry that little bit more. And I think he, we have, I've been critical of him in the past, and I am trying to give him a pass because he is still new to this team. But I think you look at our performances, and it's been since No Serino started, that we just haven't been able to do anything other than soak up pressure and hope, to the love of God, we don't concede early on. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is something that has to change. I'm not too sure how they're going to change it, but I think (laughs) Vinter has to come back on. He was arguably our best player while No Serino was unavailable. And Mm -hmm. we have collapsed without his width, his pace, because that matches, you know, Molino on the other side with both of them playing the ball into Kakar and into Laren. That is so, those are the people who score us goals. And his, you know, his biggest uh, attribute is his hustle. And and that's been missing. And also that is something that is infectious and, and rubs off on other guys when he's out there, you know, busting his but to, to get back and, and to make plays and to, to make interceptions and then get and then turning right around and getting forward on the, the attack. He's, he's been amazing. Um, but that was an interesting take on the Nocherino-Shea thing. I, my thing is, okay, if Nocherino is going to come back deep, why doesn't Shea go forward and give him an outlet pass? Because Shea can play left wing. And, you know, that's – I mean, the entire thing breaks down when you've got one guy who should be forward – and, and prepared to, to not only help defend out on top of the box, but also be available as an outlet. And now you've got two guys stuck in the corner, or one guy stuck in the corner, and then Shea in the box covering really nobody. It's it's just untenable, and that can't happen. Now, we do know this, that Adrian Heath did not coach on Sunday. He was up in the suite, and, and Mark Watson has, has fallen to 0-2 as the, as the interim coach uh, for Orlando City. Um, but I don't think really the coaching had a whole lot to do with it. We've seen this trend in the road games where the team gets dominated. The There's been very few exceptions. I mean, they were dominated against New York City FC, but happened to to get a great performance out of Joe Bendick and, and kept a clean sheet somehow. Uh, they got shellacked against the Red Bulls, and, and it got even worse at Kansas City. The only, the only real time they went on the road and actually kind of gave as good as they got, and even in the, late in the second half, they didn't give as good as they got, was the Philadelphia game. Yeah, and even then, they just, we talk about that mentality that eventually, if you know, we're tied, 
at the 70th minute, Heath just looks for the draw. And that was what happened in the Philadelphia game. You you can't stop playing. This is a game of 90 minutes. You can't, mm-hmm. you have to keep playing and you always have to go out and get it. Because even if you don't want to give it up, you know, three points is always going to be better than that one. Okay, one's going to be better than none, but you have to take the rough with the smooth. And this league is all about parity. You should be able to go away from home and get three points if this league is exactly what MLS wants it to be, which is any given Sunday or Saturday or Friday night, you can go and win all three points. And mm. I don't like the the ethos that, you know, we're away from home, let's just try to steal that point. Because right now, we're not capable of stealing that point. I, I am still kind of, upset that Joe Bendick, even though he conceded two goals, didn't make some element of a team of the week with 10 saves. Mm-hmm. I mean, he single-handedly kept us in that game. I actually vote. I actually gave him a vote in the SB Nation MLS Player of the Week. Um, you know, we turn in our top yeah. three, and he was he was my number three on the top three. And, and people will look at that around the league and say, homer pick, but 10 saves is, a, is way too much work to, to have to do. Um, because and it wasn't only just the saves. His positioning was magnificent oh, yeah. in the game. I mean, he made he made saves look easy that were like one-timers that just came right to him because he knew where to go and where his coverage was. And, you know, I took a little bit of stick for giving him a seven in the grades, but um, that was mainly because, you know, I always – I probably will never give higher than a nine, so he kind of had to start at a nine. I took a point off for – Given up two goals because regardless of, of who you are and what the situation was, if you give up two goals, you probably need to, to take a point off. And then I took another point off for his distribution, which wasn't great. But, I mean, the guy was freaking so tired from stopping the ball. He probably had no energy left to, to punt, you know. Well, and, and that's, you know, you bring up an interesting point. The other thing that is about this team, continuously distributing it through the back when our game plan is to say to them, you know, We'll soak up as much pressure as you want to give us. Let's just hoof it 50 yards and make them come back. Let's not throw it 20 and take it off a defender who's already tired. I, I want you to boot it as far away when you're kind of soaking up that kind of pressure. Yeah, and, play kickball. And we, you know, and I, you definitely could say his distribution at some point where you said, you know, just you should just kick it up the field. Let us fight for it. We didn't do that. And that also hurt us a lot. Yeah, I mean, you just can't defend. Defending, everybody says defending takes more energy out of you than attacking. And and I think you saw it because that team was, they had nothing left after that game. Um, I'm going to take it that we both think Bendik is man of the match. Oh, yeah, I I couldn't give it to anybody else right now because (laughs) it was just, I mean, single-handedly he stopped that probably from being a potential double-digit game. Yeah, it, it was really... It was one of those where it really wouldn't have been surprising had they got eight or nine or ten goals. You're right. It was they had so many good chances. They, I think if Orlando City ever had that many good chances and didn't score at least five, I would be livid. Yeah. At the finishing and and you know Sporting Kansas City fans are happy to get the three points, but they still have to be worried about the finishing because they were there were a lot of sitters that they just didn't uh, connect on. Uh, and still Orlando City early on had some very dangerous chances with Shea getting up the left wing and crossing in. He, he, I think I'm pretty sure his first one was a shot. Yes. And I don't, I think they may have actually gone back and changed it to a shot, but as of halftime, it was not listed as a shot and I'm almost, it had to have been a shot, but all he had to do was pull that back across for Lara and it's a tap and it's one, nothing. And you never know what can happen there. Um, you know, maybe the team gets a little more comfortable and confident and, and you know, settles down and, and thinks, hey, maybe we can do this. Uh, they did actually get a goal without getting a shot on goal, uh, <laughs> on an own goal, um, which I, I hate to say it every week, but another curious non-call when Bowden crossed the ball into the box and it clearly hit Zussi's arm, mm-hmm. uh, which was outstretched, not in a normal position. You can't say ball to hand because that that arm was well outside there and it, it kept a, a dangerous cross from getting in. So, um, you know, I guess a little bit of ball don't lie when you, when you get the own goal off of that. Um, nice job by David Mateos to get up and uh, head that back across the, the goal. And I think if it hadn't been put in by um, the Sporting Kansas City defender, I think uh, Laren would have cleaned it up. But uh, 
It was one nothing, and Orlando actually led in the second half of the game that was getting completely dominated. And uh, and then it just all caved in with some some lapses on, on defense. And, uh, you know, we, we hear the fans complaining about Breck Shea, but I, I'm not seeing a whole lot better from the right fullback. Well, I, I, I would say this was arguably one of Breck Shea's most better recent performances until he got hurt. And then he, of course, he had to take a step back. But going back to you saying, you know, if we'd scored early on, you know, maybe we would have got more comfortable in the game. The problem is we kind of actually already know exactly how it would have gone. It would have been the first Red Bulls game where we scored within three minutes (laughs) and then we soaked up pressure until the dam broke, which is almost exactly what we did in this game. And when we say... You, the two people we just remarked on there, Shea and Mateos getting forward, those are two defenders. When our best outlets are our defenders, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think you meant Ramos there. Sorry, Ramos. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're getting forward and just actually dealing with those. That's a lot of worries, but then that also means they're doing the offensive job too, which means that the midfielders and the forwards need to step up and do the defending when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, and they don't. So... I I don't think there's a better option than Shea right now. It'll be questionable, I guess, whether or not he starts on Saturday. Um, yeah, because of the injury. Turf on yeah. his knee, you never know. Um, but I think you can't really say that he wouldn't be the first name on the team sheet if he wasn't injured right now. So, yeah, Shea took a knock. It didn't look terribly bad for him. Uh, not so with Darwin Saren, who apparently high ankle sprain and... Uh, they say they'll evaluate him, but I mean, it wasn't a good sign that they were sending him for x-rays uh, today, actually, as we record this on Tuesday. Um, you don't send somebody for x-rays if you, if you know, <laughs> unless it, it kind of looks kind of serious. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of that stuff's precautionary, but I, I just, you hear the word high ankle sprain, and those are things that can linger for weeks and weeks, and I just don't expect him to be back in the lineup this week. I don't expect him to be back. The, the way he went down did not imply to me that he would be back with mm-hmm. it, you know, on a really a short game week with travel um, to come back. Um, he looked like, and he's also not one of those players who necessarily, you know, it's kind of an unwritten rule when you're actually hurt to kind of just stick your hand up in the air and somebody will come save you. Um, mm. he, he did that. He stayed down. I think he's also not one of those players that would choose to get stretched off. Um, if he didn't have to. So I, I don't see how he possibly starts. Like you say, high ankle sprain could mean that he's actually done some damage down there and it'll take time for it to really flare up. Yeah, those can, those can take a couple months to, to come back from. So uh, we'll wait and see what the, what the report is later in the week, but uh, certainly doesn't look good for him being in, which probably uh, is good for Servando Carrasco getting more time. Um, this is a very critical stage because there's three games in nine days uh, coming up, Andrew, and um, it starts this weekend against the <laughs> Eastern Conference leaders, Montreal Impact. Now, we're hearing that Drogba may not play, um, but that may not matter because they've got a guy named Ignacio Piatti who's unbelievable. Yeah, Piatti, he had a great season last season. He's just continued that on. Um, he's really their most dangerous outlet right now. He's mm-hmm. he's really Diego Valeri f- in the same mold he's got the great distribution he's got the ability to run at you um he really offers so many different options for montreal defending as well as going forward um and i don't think re- i think the loss of piatti would have been bigger than the loss of drogba for them coming down here yeah he's their talisman i, I mean this is not hype on my part i think uh, if you were to ask me right now, he's in the top three for MLS MVP this year. Oh, without a doubt. He he has been phenomenal. I know that I voted for him a few times um, for Player of the Week um, on the mm-hmm. SB Nation poll. Um, he's just one of those people that is he's a game changer for right them for them right now. And I thought mm-hmm. Cameron Porter, when he came back after suffering his season-ending injury early last season, was going to be great. But they just have so many weapons right now, and then you throw... Drogba into the mix and they just seem really dangerous and are looking good on that first place. Yep. Now that's a, this is gut check time for Orlando city. They've got Saturday night against Montreal midweek. They play Philadelphia at home. Uh, then they go on the road over the weekend, the next weekend. So it, uh, is, is, is going to be a, a very critical juncture. If they, lose touch with with that red line now then there, there may be no recovery even if they have a nice run like they did at the end of last season and quite frankly 
if they dig a deep enough hole, that's not a good sign for Adrian Heath. No, and I think you're this. This is. This is make or break time. We've, you know, we've been able to pull out points and people have been ha- happy. But if we don't get, I would say, at least four points out of nine and um, for this three-game stretch, we will be in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. Just because once that red line starts to slip away, there is really no catching it. Okay, we came on a bit of a tear last year, but there were some really bad teams in the East last year. And unfortunately mm-hmm. for us right now, we're looking like the bad team in the East. And not if we don't stay in touch, we will never get back up there. Ah, man. Well, uh, it all starts Saturday night against Montreal Impact, 7.30 at Camping World Stadium. We will be there to have all the coverage for you at the mainland, and uh, we'll be live-tweeting the game as well. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, when good teams have come in before, we've we've greeted them rudely. So so hopefully we can we can play spoilers to them and, and uh, get much-needed three points because, as weird as it sounds, still only five points out of first place in the Eastern Conference. I know, and we're all doom and gloom, but th- yeah. that's th- this is how tight the Eastern you know, it was tight last year, but I think yeah. it's even tighter this year because so many people went out and got some undiscovered talent, and mm-hmm. the West is really making it difficult for people to get those extra points um, because the West is just looking so strong this year. It really is. It's it's funny because you look at it and you go, it's a terrible season. We have two wins, only one more than last place Chicago, and still only five points out of first place. So, yeah. um, With, I believe, a game in hand over Montreal as well. So um, then we'll probably lose that game in hand here over the next uh, couple weeks as we, we head into a busy part of the schedule. Uh, but we will see what happens. I'm, I'm, we'll be back next week to break down Montreal and uh, look forward to both Philadelphia and uh, you know what? I haven't looked far enough ahead. Who are we playing the weekend after? <laughs> I've got no idea. <laughs> let's just go for it. Let's go be happy, right? Yeah. I, you know, let's, let's just go get some wins here. I'm, a win will make everybody feel better because all of a sudden you go flying up the table because, again, everybody's so bunched up. Uh, so we'll see what happens on Saturday. Oh, it's New York City away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always fun. <laughs> At least we know Kyle Lyron will probably get a goal. You know? <laughs> yeah, because they haven't been sucking right now. Yeah, I, I tell you what, um, when we have more time, we're going to probably, if this doesn't if this doesn't change, we're probably going to have to talk about uh, – you know, Laren's goal drought. He's had what, like one goal since March. Yeah. So, um, and I know he missed a game with injury, but still, one goal since March uh, is not good for your for your starting striker. Who, who, you know, everybody was like, okay, no, there's no such thing as a sophomore slump, and he scored in his first three games, and now one since then. So, um, but you never know. He can score in bunches. So we'll see. We'll see if the Canadian Messi can get it done. <laughs> um. Let's turn our attention to some a team that did much better on the weekend, and that is Orlando Pride. Uh, gets a 1-0 win over Western New York Flash in a game that looked like it was going to end in a scoreless draw or that somehow the Flash was going to nick a goal. It never really looked like Orlando Pride would score until they ended up doing it. Yeah, it was it was it was such a great game. It, it was back and forth. Um, the Pride just seemed really quiet, but once again they dug in deep, and Alex Morgan produced what could potentially be goal of the season for me already um, with just a beautifully timed run. And mm. it, it, it just brought the crowd alive and we were always going to stay in it from there. You know, she made a number of great runs. People, I, I've heard people say that Morgan didn't have a great game, but she made, she made some very good runs all game long. And it was just a matter of the service, not getting there. And either the ball was too long over the top and the keeper would get to it, or it was too short and the defenders would cut it out. And finally, Kristen Edmonds played the perfect ball. And that chip was, I mean, not only was it a little bit cheeky, but she pulled it off with such skill. It's it's really hard to describe how difficult a goal like that is to score. And yet, uh, you know, Captain Morgan got it done. She made it look, I I think, isn't that a a sign of great talent, though, when you make something that's incredibly difficult look simple? I mean, Mm -hmm. she got her pace right. She didn't stray offside. Um, she took it down really well, and I'd actually remarked to the people I was watching the game with earlier that Neo was, um, D'Angelo was so far off a line all the time that she mm-hmm. was worth having a go on the chip. So 
when Morgan sure. did it. I, I didn't surprise me. She was one of those things where she's reading the keeper and checking her positioning. Um, I thought it was just a great goal. And it really, you know, when you watch a game, it's not about what you necessarily do on the ball all the time. Sometimes you have to give credit for the fact that you don't touch the ball because you've given that space to somebody else. You've allowed mm-hmm. them to make the run. And I think Morgan does that in spades. She really just drags people away because she's so dangerous. Uh, Jasmine Spencer was good. She had a good game. I thought that uh, Steph Catley had a good game. Another big save from uh, Ashlyn Harris, um, who came out on a 1v1 and made herself big and, and made a vital save uh, to keep the other team scoreless. And um, then, of course, I thought the game changed completely uh, at the half when they brought Leanne Sanderson on. Once again, she just... You can see why she keeps coming off the bench. She really is a super sub, and I think... Samani is using her in the fact that, you know, we have such a great talent that is able to come off the bench and then all of a sudden the, the, the away team or the opposing team, you know, thinks they figured us out. And then all of a sudden we have somebody of Sanderson's quality that's able to come off the bench and she just changes the game. I thought she made everybody look better, but um, mm-hmm. the actual substitution for me that I thought really changed the game was Tony Presley um, because she allowed... Um, the partnership of Monica and Alloway to be broken up um, because they were not having a great game together. Um, By bringing on Presley, they were able to move Monica forward, and I thought that was what really changed the game for us um, and made Sanderson so much more effective with her fresh legs. Yeah, the center backs seem to be having some communication issues and and some execution issues, uh, particularly Monica, who was uh, replaced... Uh, and moved up to midfield when when Presley came on, and it was good to see Tony Presley get some playing time because, um, you know, she's going to be needed when those teams when those players leave for international duty. She's going to need to be that rock back there, uh, without Alloway and Monica in there at center back. So it was good to see that. It was a it was a good change. Uh, Sanderson for me was amazing. She came on and she was so good in possession. It was almost like watching Kaká with the men's team. Um, just keeping possession with players all around her, you know, sneaking passes through and, and just creating havoc. And like you said, making everyone around her better, which is really the sign of a great midfielder. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, not to go back to the, the Orlando City <laughs> side again, but that's where we're not seeing from Kaká. He, he is not raising everybody's game in the way that Vinter was, you know. When you have a player who's giving their all for the full 90 minutes – you get buoyed by that. And even if you go down and that player is still running, you can bring it on. And I think, you know, Leanne is being able to do that for this team. And I think it's really helpful for them to be able to get to halftime and say, oh, you know what? Okay, we haven't scored yet, but we have great talent on the bench. She's going to give us a completely different option. She's going to change our shape. And I know that she's going to give me that space for somebody like Spencer who can, you know, all of a sudden she's going to have the ability to get away where she wasn't necessarily able to in the first half. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I just, I had to chuckle cause I saw some, one of our questions for, uh, for our ask the mainland podcast, uh, questions for later. So, uh, we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pride, uh, is now three and O at home and has conceded only one goal while scoring six. So, uh, a dominating start to the NWSL season, at least at home, the club is now 0-2 on the road, embarking on a four-game uh, road swing, which will take them to Houston Dash, which is unbeaten at home, uh, FC Kansas City, which is a perennial power, New York Flash, which gave them everything they wanted here the other day, and undefeated Washington Spirit. So that is about as tough a, as a four-game stretch on the road as you could get without having uh, Portland or Seattle in there as well. So um, th- this will be uh, a real test to see if – if the pride is for real and if they really are going to be contenders for a playoff spot or if they're going to maybe slide back and then and then be like desperately fighting for that last spot uh, the rest of the season. So uh, a big four games ahead and uh, we've got the perfect guest to come on and talk to us about that and about many other things uh, having to do with the Orlando pride. And we'll get to our guest right after this. Joining us on this week's Mainland Podcast is Jasmine Spencer from the Orlando Pride. Jasmine, thanks so much for being with us. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you for having me. 
Well, it's our pleasure. Uh, I just wanted to, first of all, congratulate you on a, on a great start to the season. Uh, and I wanted to, I guess, start out by asking about um, this weekend's game against Western New York Flash and, and, a, uh, and your performance and, and overall what you thought of, of the team's performance and that incredible goal by Alex Morgan. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously a lot of people know by now that I played for the Flash last year, so it was a big game mm-hmm. for me, and I know a handful of us who have also um, spent some time with that organization. And um, they're a good team. They're young, but they're feisty, and we knew it was going to be a battle. Um, and we were able to get out of there with the three points. It was it was great. I thought it was a good game. Well, and on that game, obviously, I, I noticed um, I stand in the supporter section and I watch all the game. And whenever you get a touch of the ball, the stadium seems to elevate um, and the fouls, the fans come alive a little bit more. Do you feel that on the pitch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, the energy and the like you just feel their presence when you're out on the field. And I think it gives me that extra boost when I'm out there and it, it keeps me making those runs and, and being dangerous in the attack. And, and I feel like every time I get the ball, I can do that much more because I feel like the crowd is behind me and it's, it's an amazing feeling. You know, Jasmine, uh, you know, the pride is, is undefeated at home, you know, perfect record three and zero. And I want to talk a little bit about that opening game because it was such um, a, an emotional day, I think for the organization. I mean, the, the record crowd and 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 the you know obviously the result over Houston and you know it just didn't seem to me I was up in the press box watching but it didn't seem to me like you guys even wanted to come off of the pitch that day it seemed like you just wanted to sit there and and bask in the the warm reception from the fans and and sign autographs and that kind of thing you took your victory lap and all that can you describe a little bit about what that was like for you yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was unbelievable for one, just to break the NWSL record, but two, like, I feel like the community and Orlando was just excited about the day as we were, and that's what made it so unbelievable. Like, walking that lap and, and seeing how all the fans were so excited and so happy for us just to be there and have a women's team in their city is incredible, and I mean, I'll I'll never forget that day in my life. It's probably one of the greatest moments of my career so far, and I know that everyone on the team feels the same way, and it's, it's just awesome to be a part of it all. Well, and you talk about that atmosphere. Obviously, um, the away games so far for the Pride haven't been the most successful, um, and the team's about to start a month-long stint away from home. Um, how are you guys gearing up to uh, get ready for that and hopefully turn those... Uh, losses into some points on the way on the road. Yeah, um, it's been difficult for us, but I think we've been playing well on the road. I think it's about just getting the points and, and whether that means getting a late goal like, you know, we did um, this past weekend or holding on to a lead like we could have potentially done in Portland. Those That's what makes, like, away games difficult. Um, but I think we've grown so much since our last away game, and I think um, we're growing every week, and we're really prepared to come away with points now that we're going to be on the road for the next month. You know, as one of the, the you know, a, a, somebody who's diminutive in size, you, you seem to take a lot of abuse out there with the fouls and, <laughs> and um, the physical play, and yet, you know, you just keep going and your motor never seems to stop. Is you know, was that always a hallmark of your game, or did you have to build that? Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I can say that it's always been a part of my game, but, I mean, it's definitely something that I've had to work at. Um, my family is small, you know. It's not like I'm five foot and my dad is six feet. You know, I come from a small family, so I think we, all of us, and we're all pretty athletic, we've all had the mentality, like, you know, even though we're small, that we're going to come at you big. And so I've grown up with that mentality. Um, But, you know, every level there's always been like, oh, you know, we don't know, you're small, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they see me on the field and it it just doesn't become relevant anymore. And I'm proud of that because, you know, it doesn't matter how tall you are. If you can still play big and and you bring what you can to the game and 
you know, I think my speed and athleticism makes up for my lack of height. And, and I just don't feel like it's even up for debate anymore. <laughs> um, and I'm proud that I've made it that way. So, yeah, I guess I've worked on it as far as the mentality and being able to overcome it. But I've always played like this my whole life. So. Well, and uh, obviously you headed into the start of the season with the Pride. Uh, you've been playing in Australia the past two off-seasons. Um, has that helped you always get ready for the start of the NWSL season and be that stronger player who can play the, the long season? Um, I think so, yeah, because, you know, there's nothing that really emulates a game scenario or even team training environments. And since we have such a long off-season for me, I think it's really important that I, I can go somewhere where I can train in that team environment and get game fitness and game experience. And the last couple of years, it's been in Australia. And um, before that, I was in Cyprus, which, I mean, are two beautiful places. And the weather makes it possible that you can still train, um, you know, in those winter months for us. And, and so I I really think that I've grown a lot being able to go overseas and play in the off season. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, with such a with ten teams in NWSL, just a twenty game season. It's the season's already a quarter of the way over. It's hard to believe. Um, what's what are some of the differences between the Australian league and, and the NWSL? Um. Well, for one, I think just. Um, our exposure and our backing that we get for women's soccer and sports in general um, is bigger here. So we have a bit more funding and a bit more recognition than they do over there, but it, they're growing. And um, being at the fact that their Australian women's national team has been doing so well, I think they're just starting to get momentum to draw more attention to them, um, which is really great. And I think another big difference is just um, the youth and experience that, like, they have compared to us. They don't have a college system like we do. So a lot of those girls in that league are, you know, 16 to 18. Like, 20 is an older girl on the team, whereas here, you know, you play through college until you're, like, 21, 22. So we have a couple more years of experience at playing at a high level than they do. A lot of those girls, you know, come out of high school and then they go straight into the W League. Um, so it's still a growing process for them. But I know that a lot of internationals have been going over there, um, and it's only strengthening their league. So it's really great to see. Well, and uh, a few people on the Pride's roster this season had already been coached by Samani, either at a club or an international level. Um, how has it been working with Samani for you? Um, I think it's been great. He's something different than I've had in a long time, maybe since before college. Um, he brings a different knowledge of the game than a lot of the coaches I've played under before. And um, I think he has done well with trying to balance, you know, like getting um, results and dealing with everything being an inaugural season. You know, there's so much outside of soccer that goes on because we're a new team and in a new city. But, you know, what's most important is getting results, and we've been able to do that so far. And I think that has a lot to do with how Tom's been managing it all. Jasmine, you've been, uh, you know, in, in this system, you've been able to use your speed and athleticism, and you've been able to get on the ball and get forward. There hasn't been, like, a lot of, you know, finishing yet. But I, I'm wondering, like, how do you keep your your you know your positive outlook and, and how do you keep your confidence up when when maybe your shots aren't going in yeah I mean it's tough it's definitely tough but I have a great foundation and support system around me um, both here and at home that that keep me positive and they appreciate the energy and the effort that I'm doing and you know I'm just out there every day after training working on it so I know my time will come and and when it does, I mean, I'll enjoy it and I'll love it and I'll get right back to work so I can score some more. So, you know, it's a process and just take one day at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and women's soccer is still growing as much as it's popular here in Orlando. Um, who is your potential player to watch out for as this season goes on, especially um, with the Olympics taking place this year? Yeah, oh, um, I mean, I don't know. I try and, like just sit back and see who's going to surprise me. <laughs> you know, I don't 
I don't really necessarily follow like the biggest names and see what they're going to do because I think the beauty of our sport um, is just seeing what magic happens in the moment. And you never know who's going to make that magic happen. You know, it could be someone like a Carly Lloyd or it could be someone that we don't even know exists yet. So we'll just see. I'm just going to enjoy the moment, and I'm really excited to see what happens at the Olympics. You know, Jasmine, this is a a very brutal four-game stretch on the road for you guys. You're at Houston. They haven't lost a home game yet. At FC Kansas City, at the New York Flash, and at undefeated Washington Spirit right in a row. Have you talked as a team about what your goals are in terms of what you need to get out of this road trip to, to sort of stay in the hunt for those next four games at home? Um, no, actually, you know, we really haven't thought too much about that. Um, we're just trying to take it one game at a time right now. We're focused on Houston and trying to get points there. Um, and we're really focusing on us, to be honest, and getting better every day and, and building our brand of soccer that we want to go out and play. And I think just focusing on us is going to help us be able to play our best at those away games. So we'll see how it goes. Well, and obviously we're still in the expansion side. Um, how has it been for you as a player, you know, going through the expansion draft and potentially leaving a franchise that, you know, that you had been with for a couple of years? And was that difficult for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had mixed feelings. I, I felt like um, the fans at The Flash and up in Rochester definitely embraced me, and um, I had a lot of support coming from them. But at the same time, I was also ready to try and see what else I can do in the league and explore new opportunities, and Orlando has given me that opportunity, and I feel like I'm in where I'm supposed to be in this moment. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's you never know what life's going to throw at you, so uh, you may as well just go with it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the well, the artist formerly known as the Citrus Bowl, Camping World Stadium. Um, <laughs> you guys have been drawing pretty well, you know, obviously well for an, an NWSL team, and and I think the Mother's Day crowd was I think bigger than the other two Mother's Days around the league. So the the team's doing well in in terms of fans, but in that big big stadium. Do you still feel the energy from those fans? Because it, it seems like uh, that the stadium is mostly empty, but there's still a very, very nice crowd there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, give all the kudos to our fans because they're so amazing. Like, I honestly can't even tell the difference between the 23,000 we had and the 8,000 we had on Mother's Day. And I think we had maybe eight or so again this past weekend, but they're so involved and they're so animated the entire game that, you know, when you're out there, you can't even tell that, you know, half of it's empty because that's how incredible they are for the entire 90 minutes. So they're amazing. We love them so much. Uh, and and who, who has impressed you most on the Pride's roster um, throughout this season? Um, I kind of get that question a lot, and I never can pick one because I've played with a handful of the girls, and I haven't played with the other handful, but the way we've all gelled has been unbelievable. Like, I would have never expected that, and I don't even know how or why, but for whatever reason, we work, and it's been amazing, and yeah, I mean, no one's, one person really stands out of it. It's just been incredible how we've all been able to come together so quickly. You know, Jasmine, before we let you go, just one last question. Just want to kind of get a, a, a feel for your your you know your your humble beginnings i guess as you know so to speak how did you actually get into soccer and and who did you sort of gravitate to as saying that's a player that i'd like to be you know like someday yeah um so i have two older brothers and they both played and um we're super family oriented so we were out on the soccer field every weekend and, I mean, they got to do a lot of different sports. By the time I came around, it was mostly just soccer for me. And just watching them play every weekend, I was like, they're long girl. And I shagged all their balls at their games, even through high school. And I just, I think I took the best of both of their games and I've combined them. And it enabled me to make a professional career out of it. So I definitely attribute all my success to them. <laughs> Well, Jasmine Spencer from the Orlando Pride, uh, it's it's been so much fun having you on the podcast this week. We're 
we're really happy that you came on and we thank you for your time and and you know best of luck uh, not only this week in against Houston but uh, you know the rest of the season especially these next four games on the road thank you so much and thank you for having me Well, we're just about ready to wrap up another Mainland podcast. Uh, we really want to thank Jasmine Spencer from the Orlando Pride. Uh, she's been you know, amazing both in the midfield and out on the wing as an attacking forward uh, throughout the season so far. And she's, she's really been a difference maker, Andrew, on that team in, in terms of, of giving people like uh, Alex Morgan space to work with. Yeah, I think she's, she's that dynamo that is giving... I think something that we didn't realize was going to be on this team, which is speed. Um, mm-hmm. She's able to just pull so many people away. And I think what she really does is she just elevates the crowd. Um, she brings people in. She they, People get energized about watching her play. And I think that's a great thing for an expansion team to have. Yeah, and she starts finishing uh, her chances. And, you know, it's going to be lights out and the pride is going to be fantastic. Um, they will be very hard to beat when she starts finishing her chances. So uh, hopefully that will happen uh, Friday night at the Houston Dash at uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, uh, again, we'll have full coverage of that. And, of course, Orlando City in action on Saturday and Orlando City B on Sunday. And Sean will be out in Melbourne for that match. Um, before we get to our key matchups and predictions for the Montreal game, Andrew, uh, we do have a, a little bit of Ask TML this week. We've got uh, <laughs> a question from Ethan Vaughn on Twitter. Okay. And Ethan wants to know, why do you think Adrian Heath continues to play Nocherino? I think we, we've kind of covered this before, but he he brings in, you know, we've realized he actually has a lot more power over the transfers than we thought. You know, he's bringing in people that he does have the ability to see and work out. This isn't a team that is just stepping blindly into signings. This is not a league where you can do that. Um, I think he's just giving him the opportunity and he must be seeing something on the training field that we're just not seeing. He is, you know, but you also have to put it with the fact that sometimes Heath just sticks with a player for too long. And I'm hoping that's the case with Nocherino because if he doesn't come good, Heath will start to see the fans turn more and more against him, not just Mm -hmm. because of the substitutions, but when we're in this kind of streak, they're looking for somebody to blame. Right now, it's no Sereno. If he continues to play, then it will be on Heath. Um, But I think Heath is trying to get the best out of everybody, and Mm -hmm. that is why no Sereno continues to start. Does it be for the good of the club? Only time will tell. Yeah, here's the thing about Antonio Nocherino is that he is a, a guy who has been a Serie A player and, and he's been an effective one. And you bring in a guy of that talent. You you can see it on the training ground because I've, I've been out there and I've seen what the guy can do a little bit. I mean, they don't let us watch a whole lot of training, but, uh, you know, everything's very, very closed door, hush, hush. But uh, for the few minutes they let us see, you know, he does have some tons of skill and you know, we've seen a lot of players come over from Europe and, and take a long time to get you know acclimated to the game and to the travel and to the teammates and to the new system and everything that goes along with it, the culture shock. There's a lot that is involved with it. And you know, one thing I can tell you about his you know, him as a person is he has a very good attitude about wanting to to come in and get acclimated as quickly as, as possible. He's very pro-America. He's very, you know, he's very intrigued to come over here and he, he wants to be here. Um, the the fact that he keeps playing, well, it's it's easy to forget this because it seems like he's been around like for months now and, and it's he's played seven games. Mm. And the fact of the matter is if you think that this player is going to help you get to the playoffs, you can't just sit him because he's not going to get any better there. You have to sort of let you know, live with it and play through that. And at some point you do need to pull the plug on that. Uh, maybe, you know, sit him for a game and then try it again. But, you know, I guess Heath hasn't got to that point yet. And this was going to be a difficult game to do that in without Higita. Uh, but they can always, you know, they can always sit him and, and play Rivas. I, I mean, for me, Rivas is really the lost man this year because 
he destroyed the New York Red Bulls last year. And this year when they could have used him, they didn't put him on until very late. I, I, I thought that he could have been a difference maker, and I kind of expected him to start that game. But uh, it wasn't meant to be. And, um, well, <laughs> why do you play Nocherino? Well, because you think he's going to be helpful. And if he's not helpful right now, you hope that he's playing his way into being helpful soon. So uh, that's the answer to your question, Ethan. I hope that, uh, you know, you take that with the spirit that it's intended with, you know, we, you know, <laughs> we see the guy play too. We see that it's not, it's not been good and maybe he's just a bad fit for this team or maybe he's a bad fit for the system. Uh, or maybe he's just taking a while to get acclimated like so many players do when they come from overseas, but whatever it is, I know that the guy actually does have skill and, you know, he's a good guy. So, you know, it's, it's sad to see how much, you know, bile and, and hate there is on online about it. And, uh, you know, it. I try to be one of those guys who's – I try to support the team, but I also try to support the players that are wearing the purple shirt. And as long as he's here, he's going to have my support. You know, once he goes elsewhere, you know, then he's on his own. <laughs> you know, He's not – the thing is, though, based on his current performances, he's not going anywhere else. I mean, it just let, – let's be honest. It just took a Kugu almost six months to find a new club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is, you almost want to start putting No Serino in the Akugu barrel. And in that, you know, we at least got some slightly good performances from Akugu before he turned to, <laughs> uh, you know, not playing very well. But we've just, <laughs> we've not even seen any of those bright sparks that I think people want to see as a fan. We're not getting to see the bright sparks that. Heath is so obviously seeing in training, but once again, mm-hmm. training is potentially an individual. And I don't get me wrong; he has individual talent. He has to. He did play for the Italian national side at yeah. some point, but I just don't think he has the teamwork and team chemistry for this league and this team right now. Yeah, it's not there now, and it, but who knows whether it can can get to that point or not. One of the things I've noticed about him is that he probably needs to slow down more. Mm-hmm. He's so, and you see this with with guys that come from these elite leagues sometimes is that he's playing a ball that his teammates for the last ten years would have gotten to. They would have already been on the move. They would have been at that spot. These teammates are going to take a little longer to get there. Maybe they're not quite at that level. And you saw that a little bit with Kaká last year where he's playing a ball and then he kind of yells at somebody mm-hmm. because it's like, why weren't you there? You know, um, you know, and so we'll see what happens. I mean, seven games isn't a lot to judge a player by, and it's certainly not a lot to get, you know, to get a player who hasn't played since August, uh, you know, back to playing his best. So, um, you know, ultimately, Adrian Heath knows his job depends on making the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. He's not going to do something that he thinks is bad for the team or bad for winning in the long, you know, in the long term. He's he's a guy who still will think, you know, two, three years ahead at, you know, what's coming down the future. That's why, you know, you see the guys that are at OCB and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, he knows he needs to win this year. So he's not going to cut off his nose to spite his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that at some point the leash will get shorter and maybe we'll see it this week because, you know, Heath has promised some changes this, this week. So we'll see what happens. Andrew, speaking of seeing what happens, what's going to happen against Montreal? What's your key matchup in that game and, and what's your score prediction? Uh, I think we kind of already covered it, but it is the defenders or the defensive midfielders against Ignacio Piatti. Um, if we can keep him quiet, we stand a chance. Um, but obviously, once again, I think Saran is unlikely to start, so we're back to Hagida and Carrasco. They're mm-hmm. going to have to have a really strong game against a person who is, as you say, probably having close to at least the beginnings of an MVP quality season. Um, so mm-hmm. that's my key matchup. Um, however, I am going the other side of that and saying that key matchup is not going to work out. Um, just because they haven't been on the same page in recent games. Um, I'm putting Montreal down for a 3-0 win. Whoo, that's a beatdown. Um, I, I agree with your with your uh, your key matchup. I think that Piatti against the, the, the central midfield is going to be a key. I also think that if Breckshay can't play, how is Bowden going to handle Dominic Oduro? He's had trouble with him in the past. That's, that's a lot of speed to, to be covered with a, a guy who doesn't have great pace in, in Bowden. Um, that's a worry for me when we play Montreal is, is Luke Bowden against Dominic Oduro. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Kevin Alston will play. 
Um, he certainly has the pace to play with Dominic Oduro, and uh, you know we haven't seen him much this year. But I thought that he acquitted himself well in that New England game in which he did play. So um, you know maybe that's an option for Adrian Heath on Saturday night if uh, Breck Shea can't go. Um, also, wouldn't really kill me at all if he moved Shea to left attacking mid and and played Alston anyway. So uh, he's the the great thing about having versatile players is you have options. And Heath certainly has to do some tinkering with the lineup this week. So we'll see how that goes, and, and hopefully it will work out in our favor. That said, my scoreline prediction is going to be 2-1 to one to Montreal. I, I just think that this team has has done a good job of somehow finding a way to scratch out a goal every week, and, and often more than that. It's been one of the higher-scoring teams in the league. And, you know, Joe Bendick is going to do what he can, but I don't think you can keep Montreal off the board you know, all night. I, I think it's going to kind of be one of those games where it's maybe it's 1-1 most of the game and then they somehow get a late one off of a set piece or something because Piotti's got that kind of quality. So that's how I see it. We, we both probably a little bit doom and gloom, but a six-game winless streak will do that to you. Uh, and, uh, and Montreal is currently leading the East. I, I, I they just, are. They, they, they have, you know, you're just rattling those people off. And even without Drogba, I think this team... You know, they, they have played without Drogba. They started the season without Drogba because he was struggling and he didn't want to play on turf. This is mm-hmm. not a team that's going to be upset about him missing. They're going to come out. They're going to come down here to play. They want to show people that they're serious, just like they started last season um, really well. I, I just don't see it being a positive experience. And I agree with you that Heath is going to tinker, but what disappoints me is the fact that he's only going to tinker be through necessity he's not tinkering because he thinks this team is playing bad he's only going to be potentially tinkering because we've got injuries or a suspension and that's what worries me more from the coaching perspective well i can put your fear at ease then because i know for a fact that after the game he said that wasn't good enough and changes will be made and that's the way he put it he wasn't putting it that okay we weren't good, and also we have injuries, so changes will be made. It was that was embarrassing. That's not acceptable, and we're going to see some changes. So the fact that he put it that way, you know, not those maybe exact words, but that was the tone of, of his post game, uh, you know, talk. I guess. I mean, I guess they interviewed him somehow. Maybe went up in the suite or something. Or, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was not shy about saying that's the worst that they played since he's been here. So uh, he he wants to make changes, maybe send a little message to somebody that's not performing. Um, but we don't know what that's going to be until we see them uh, come out on the field on, on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, I, I feel like we've had those overtures before and then still nothing's changed. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom. I do want to end it on a good note. I hope that whatever changes he makes puts lights of fire under some people to make them proud to wear the purple jersey. Yeah, I mean, you get that lion crest on your on your shirt. You should, uh, you know, sh- you should be proud of that, and you should come out and, and give it your all. And I, I think w- we've seen a different team at home than on the road this year, and I think we're going to see a team that is not satisfied with what they've been doing. And they're, I think they're going to play, I think they're going to play very well. I just don't think that it's going to be enough because I think Montreal is going to be one of those teams that's. Is going to probably win the East or be very close to the top of the East this year for the entire season. Mm-hmm. I think that they're they're playing very well as a team, and um, they're and they've still not even gotten all the way healthy yet. So they got guys like Donnie Toya that's out and and, and that kind of thing. So uh, I expect Montreal is going to be a handful, even if Orlando City does play well. But I think the guys, uh, the Lions, will acquit themselves. Uh, you know, with everything they have this week and to try to make up for last week's debacle. So that's how I see it. And uh, we'll find out on Saturday what comes to pass, and then we'll come back and talk about it next week in a very abbreviated uh, <laughs> mid midweek uh, game week. So it's going to, it's going to be next week's going to be really busy for us here at the mainland. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be like that a lot because uh, you're going to be having U.S. Open Cup coming up. We're going to have a friendly against Stoke City. We didn't even get to that, but we don't have time to get to that now. But Stoke City uh, on, in July, late July, in a midweek friendly. Um, 
everybody's favorite, the midweek friendly in the middle of the season. Yeah, during the uh, <laughs> heading out to the Olympics and everything else that's going on. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that'll just about do it for the Mainland Podcast. Episode 50, milestone episode. Um, our, our thanks again to Jasmine Spencer uh, over the Orlando Pride. Uh, you know, wish them the best of luck this weekend, and and I'm sure that uh, she'll be her her regular hustling self, getting all over the field and and pushing the the offense forward and and making things happen out there. That's the great thing is even when she's not playing well, she's making things happen. And um, that's all I want to see. That's all I want to see from players who take the field. She's she might be just a faster version of the female Adrian Venter, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> so uh, and maybe we'll see Adrian uh, on on uh, Saturday night against Montreal. Uh, please visit our website, themainland.com, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D, and uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at The Mainland, again, M-A-N-E instead of M-A-I-N. And follow us uh, or like us on Facebook. And uh, please go to iTunes and, and rate our podcast and leave us uh, some good feedback. We really appreciate that. Ah, so we'll come back next week. We'll talk about the Pride. We'll talk about Orlando City against Montreal. Uh, maybe we'll even talk a little OCB if we've got time, if they do anything worth talking about. And <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, next week, and uh, we'll be back. So uh, for Andrew Harrison, I'm Michael Citro from the mainland saying, signing off saying, Go City! <laughs>